0: The best way to listen to Radio Captain U is on the way to practice. You can subscribe for free through the podcast app on your iPhone or Android and then enjoy more than 40 episodes. We'd like to thank our partners including US Lacrosse and the National Soccer Coaches Association of America for their leadership in communicating sports science and technology.
1: There's a lot more to being a successful athlete than learning technique and tactics. On Radio Captain U, we introduce you to the leaders of the sports revolution.
0: Welcome to Radio Captain U, I'm Avi Stopper, and on this episode of the show, we're speaking with the sports psychologist Jonathan Katz about anger in sports, anger management, what to do about it, whether it's a bad thing, and how you can recognize it as it's coming and deal with it on the field. Let's dive into the interview now. Well, Jonathan Katz, welcome to Radio Captain U. Today's topic is anger and anger management in sports. And I was wondering, just to start off, if you feel like people generally get more angry in sports or when they're competing than they would otherwise in their lives.
1: I don't think necessarily. I think it tends to be, you know, a lot of times you see anger demonstrated in a public forum (laughs) because athletics is watched by a lot of people. You don't see that when a writer is trying to write a novel or somebody is working in a factory. So I just think it's out there for the public to see. I don't think it happens necessarily more frequently. I just think that it's more visual and there are more people who care about it because there are a lot of people who care about sports so we see it a lot more.
0: When you're actually out there competing, is it a bad thing to be angry?
1: Well, like most things in life, uh, there's uh, aspects that can be constructive and destructive. So, I think anger is really the sign of frustration, and very often, so those things usually happen when performance dips, when things are not going as an athlete would like them to go. So, it's a good warning sign. The problem is, very often, the expression of anger can be often kind of a waste of time and energy in the heat of the battle. So uh, that's where it becomes problematic.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the kinds of triggers that set off an angry reaction. What are the things that really lead someone on the field to becoming really upset?
1: Okay, so very often we have to start with the actual personalities of athletes. I mean, we're all wired differently in the world. Some people tend to be a little more laid back. Some people tend to be wired a little more tightly and it doesn't take much to trigger stuff. So, you know, there are predisposing factors and characteristics that often kind of make person A a little more susceptible to anger, whereas person B may not be as much. So knowing those things about yourself as an athlete or watching an athlete is kind of very important to that. Usually anger is triggered by poor performance, things not going as well individually or in a team of sport, team-wise, as somebody would like. So that's usually what the trigger is, usually a kind of reduction in performance, both individually or collectively as a team.
0: How about things like being tired and also feeling like the victim of some sort of offense, whether it's something that a referee does or something that an opposing player does, or maybe even in some isolated cases, something that someone on your team does?
1: Yeah, well, there are all kinds of factors that can contribute to that. There could be internal factors, which was I was alluding to before. is like kind of a decrease in performance, but they're external. You could be a tennis player and it could be 30 mile an hour winds that could be affecting the ball. It could be bad calls by an umpire referee, those things are all true, those external factors, except that if you and I are playing a tennis match and it's 40-mile-an-hour wins and very difficult conditions, but I'm beating you badly, I'm probably not getting frustrated nearly as much with those external factors than you are. So the external factors can trigger some of those reactions, but if one's performance can continue at a high level or if you're often on the winning side, that tends to decrease it. To
0: follow up on that point about being tired, do you feel like as people fatigue in a game in some sort of competition and maybe lose a little bit of focus, anger and anger management problems creep in a little bit more than they might otherwise, maybe at the beginning of the game? Yeah.
1: Well, when I work with athletes and teams, my big focus is taking care of the things that are in your control. So in a sense, before you get on the field of play, things like your hydration, your nutrition, your sleep, your Caffeine consumption, your alcohol consumption, all these kinds of factors that go into a level of readiness, how much rest did you get, you know, mental preparedness. A lot of athletes you will see go through their own physical routine before a game or match, their warm-up. Very often when I work with athletes, they could be amateur, collegiate, and professional athletes, I ask them about, so do you have a mental routine? And most of them do not have a set thing. Oh, I listen to a little music here, a little music there, or something like that. And what I often do is I have them develop it basically in accordance to the things that they like. There's no set way, just like there's no set physical routine, but a mental routine that gets them mentally prepared for competition. Because the key in competition is not that things go wrong. It's not that external factors or factors within the game become problematic. It's, are you equipped? Do you have tools in your toolbox at that moment to be able to manage those things? Adversity and challenges within athletic performance is just kind of a byproduct of the game. It happens. Things don't always go your way. That often people think is the problem, but it actually isn't, is can you manage those situations in real time effectively when they come up? Can you control that emotional, what I call emotional volatility, meaning athletes that tend to get too high or too low during the course of athletic participation often have a rougher time competing at a highly consistent level, and they often use up time and energy with that roller coaster ride of emotional volatility.
0: It sounds like there's a pretty strong mandate to, for lack of a better description, know thyself. And I'm wondering if at the outset when you're working with folks, if there are a set of questions that you encourage them to ask of themselves.
1: Well, here's the thing. I am a clinical psychologist and a sports psychologist by training. So by the nature of my background and profession, when I meet with an athlete for the first time, I do a very in-depth evaluation, which would go into not only their background, their family, education, relationships, academics, their sports career chronologically. I get a whole background of information because those are important factors to know. But what I often do is also ask for a scouting report, so to speak, on the athlete. I ask them to tell me if we were watching a video of you play. So point out, it doesn't make a difference on the sport. Tell me your strengths. What are things that you feel you're really good at? Tell me your weaknesses. What are things that you have trouble with? And I do that from both the physical, technical, and mental points of view. Athletes that tend to be more aware of their strengths and their weaknesses, who have greater insight and perspective, that gives them a leg up in terms of improving upon their performance because they're open to the positive and negative aspects of their own level of performance. And it's not that insight necessarily leads to behavior change, but insight can be a very useful factor when you're working with an athlete to improve their performance.
0: That's a powerful idea, that concept of a personal scouting report that you would do of yourself, basically, to say, hey, this is what I'm good at and this is what I'm not good at. It seems like the anger component is really probably more of a manifestation of underlying things. Is that your take on it?
1: Well, here's the thing. The truth is, what does anger really mean? Anger really means that there's upset, disappointment. And in a very base human level, basically we're upset, we're scared of failing, for ourselves, in the eyes of others, whatever. That's really ultimately on a very base, primitive level. It's a fear of failure and being less than or not good at. And so that's the trigger. So what happens with athletes is the easiest thing for an athlete to do or any person to do at the moment when things are not going well is to lash out, to get angry. I mean, it's very easy to do that. What I say by easy is, The hardest thing to do during the course of competition is to acknowledge, feel, experience the frustration, and then find a way to step back both physically and emotionally, and figure out what you need to do to get things back on track. Now, if you and I are in an English class and we're writing a paper, and we're writing down and we're getting frustrated, we could just get up from our desk, go watch a little TV, get a bite, eat, take a nap, whatever, come back to the paper. If you're in the middle of a tennis match, there's no pause button to push. You gotta figure that out real time. And the athletes that allow the frustration and the anger to build and to come out over longer periods of time, you often see a decline in their performance.
0: Let's talk a little bit about techniques, as you were starting to allude to there. When you're in the heat of battle, as it were, what are some of the ways that you can start to manage those emotions to get yourself back down to a level of focus? And actually, maybe there's a premise in there that we should challenge a little bit. Is it necessarily a bad thing to maybe be at a sort of heightened state of anger when you're in the midst of a competition?
1: No, well, listen, here disappointment, frustration, when things are not going well. If you and I are playing a tennis match, and you're killing me, and I'm like, no biggie, I'm not, like, upset or frustrated, that's a sign that my level of motivation, my intensity, my sense of urgency is not there. So the fact that that's not, you're beating me pretty badly is not triggering any emotional reaction for me is not a good sign, because it means that I'm not likely to try to garner the energy, the focus, the concentration, the strategy that I'm going to need to do to get back into that match. So, Frustration and anger, that is a useful understanding, is to understand that that's the warning sign. The key thing for most athletes, and I go over with them, is what are the types of things that tend to trigger one's anger and frustration. For some people, they may not be phased at all by external factors. they like, oh, it's too hot, it's windy, whatever. Those may not bother them. They may get very quickly frustrated if, like, they're a tennis player and they're missing their forehand. It doesn't make a difference what it is. The key factor, first of all, is to understand, acknowledge the vulnerabilities. Where are you most vulnerable during the course of competition? What's going to trigger that? And then you work with the athlete to how they're going to manage those situations in anticipation of that happening and one of the key things is to recognize the triggers early on so that it doesn't become a snowball effect it's like anything else and so the awareness of that early on if you nip it in the bud early enough and you have the strategies and techniques to manage it it becomes much easier to do so like in a tennis match if things are not going well and I see a level of frustration because you've just broken my serve and now I'm down the first game of the set I'm still in the match, so if I can get it together and find ways to kind of calm myself emotionally, focus on resetting, what do I need to do next to get back in the match, that's very different than if all of a sudden I let that anger and frustration continue, and now all of a sudden I'm down four games to love as opposed to one game to love.
0: So it sounds like it can actually be constructive in that it's on some levels kindling the fire maybe a little bit. And then at the same time, it's also acting as a signpost or some sort of flashing light in front of you to say, hey, you need to respond. But then it sounds like you need to quickly transition into management mode. Do I have that right? And how do you make that transition?
1: Yes. Well, any high performer, the competitiveness and the desire to perform well and to win is going to trigger emotional reactions when those things are not happening. That in itself is not a bad thing. It's kind of your own body and mind's way of signaling yourself that things are not going well and you need to find a way to get it back on track. However, there are many athletes who then allow the emotional reaction, the frustration, the anger to kind of take over in a destructive way when anger is expressed just for the sake of anger that's using up a lot of energy and time and it doesn't offer anything on the positive end so that becomes kind of a destructive pattern as opposed to just using it as a signal and then shifting physically and emotionally into channeling that energy into a focus on a strategy to get things back on track
0: So what would that actually look like when, okay, you transition from you've got this some sort of external factor leads to this feeling of anger and then somehow do you rationalize it? Do you sit there and say, okay, I'm feeling angry. Now the next thing I need to do is understand where that anger is coming. You know, this is happening in a split second.
1: Yes. So basically this is why you work with athletes off the court or off the field and you have them practice this during practice is really to anticipate, is to kind of take them through, whether it's through visualization or just a kind of a recounting of what tends to go on. So you talk to them about the kinds of things that have triggered their frustration and anger in the past, how they've managed it in the past in a positive way and in a negative way and try to give them real-time things. So here's a perfect case. Let's say, just for a sake, a tennis match. So all of a sudden, you know, you and I are playing, and I'm serving, and my serves are really poor. I'm double-faulting a lot. I'm getting incredibly frustrated. Now, the interesting thing is when athletes get angry and frustrated, one of the tendencies that they do, and this is in many sports, they tend to rush things. They tend to speed up the very thing that's counter to what's going to help performance. And how I understand that psychologically is when things are not going well, two things. It feels lousy to sit with that. And what I mean by sit with that, to step back, because then you're experiencing that frustration and disappointment. So there's a tendency to speed up performance. And part of the speeding up is, okay, let me just get to the line and make the next serve, and hopefully that one goes in and I can start to feel better about myself. But the reality is that that takes me out of my rhythm, the normal rhythm. So what I often say to people is, in tennis, if I've double-faulted, I need to make sure before I serve the next point that I've quickly assessed what went well or didn't go well in the previous point, notice the connections, let go of the previous point, and then when I step up to the line to serve... I am now focused on a strategy of where I want to serve the ball. I've let go of the error and am now forward-thinking, reset on what I want to do next. A big problem with anger and frustration is athletes often hold on to what they have been doing poorly. And so that has done two things. They're feeling worse about what they've done, something they can't undo. And then their concentration and focus is on something in the past, decreasing their level of concentration and focus on what's before them during the next point. So it's a double whammy often for athletes in terms of holding on to that anger and frustration.
0: How about the sorts of triggers that lead to really instantaneous reactions? Things like a ref makes a bad call and you do something you shouldn't do, or someone hits you hard or fouls you and you respond badly.
1: Those to me are often, you know, I often say this, when the offense is a misdemeanor and people treat it like a felony, there's usually an indication of past stuff that's going on. So let's just say, again, I'm a tennis player, and I've been really struggling my last five or six tournaments. And now something relatively minor happens when you and I are playing. And all of a sudden, like I said, it's a misdemeanor infraction, and I go off like it's a major felony. That's probably the culmination of a sense of frustration that's been building up for me for my poor performance or things that have been going on previous to this. Those could be external things that could have nothing to do with sports. It could be things in people's personal life, family life, stressors outside. There are a lot of other factors when you work with athletes, and this is very important for, to get an understanding of their whole being, because they have to be aware of other factors that can trigger emotional reactions. If they're going through a divorce, or there's a major death or illness in a family that's making them feel very uncomfortable and unsettled. In athletic performance, when tensions are high, it may not take much to trigger a strong emotional reaction, which may have very little to do with what went on on the field of play.
0: So... That notwithstanding, those kinds of reactions do happen, right? So what do you recommend? I mean, it seems like with the tennis example where you double fault, there is a natural break in between when that external experience, that thing happens that would trigger this reaction and the next play. But in those sorts of instantaneous moments, it's like something happens and then wham, you know, you're all over it before you really even know and have time to rationalize.
1: So let's just say, here's the example two things have happened either you've been having six previous matches that you played poorly or Let's just say another person is going through a very stressful divorce. In both those cases, in talking with a player, you would really work with them saying, hey listen, because of that you're on this bad losing streak and your confidence is low, or because you're going through this very horrific, stressful family situation at home, you're at a very vulnerable emotional state. And they need to be prepared that very often it may not take much to set them off. And they need to be aware of that. So if they feel that coming on, they need to try to kind of back themselves off those situations. Now, it doesn't guarantee that it won't happen, but often an awareness and a sense of that can prepare them. So when that strong emotional reaction comes, you talk with them about ways of managing it, you know, beforehand. And just because you might see an event that still happens, doesn't mean that it could have happened even more intensely or more frequently or prior to when it did happen so i think you try to work with athletes on those situations because even though it seems instantaneous we all have levels of control over our own actions and behaviors and it's just to some degree a matter of which we want to take control of that and kind of rein in that frustration and anger
0: it seems like what you're describing is really Training and practice and discipline around a different set of skills. And one of the questions that's enduring on this radio show is why a lot of these kinds of things aren't actually taught or practiced as commonly as things like tactics and technique when it comes to training young athletes. And I'm just curious from your vantage point, you know, if you feel like more people are doing this or if there are reasons why they don't, it just seems like in general, this is not something that's commonly taught or out there?
1: Well, two things. One of the things, this was a very alien concept, you know, when I got into sports psychology 25 years, 30 years ago. So one of the reasons is that as athletes start to develop, there's kind of an overwhelming focus on the technical, physical parts of the game, which is understanding. And so very often, as you move up the ladder, what really separates the best athletes from the next tier is the emotional part, is the emotional psychological variables. Meaning, the ways in which the mental skills training can maximize people's physical talents. When you go up the ladder, high level collegiate athletes, professional athletes, the difference in physical talent often is so small. It's the mental skills aspect. So what we have seen over the years, it's just not talked about as much, is that many more teams and athletes have incorporated sports psychology, mental skills training into their training. I've been a firm believer of this holistic approach in a long time. Here, for instance, many years ago, you only went to see the trainer when you had an injury. Now athletes go to see the trainer not because of injury or maybe because of injury, but mostly to keep their bodies in tip-top shape. And this is a general concept, just like in the world at large. We often don't give equal weight to mental illness as opposed to physical illness. In this way, within sports, we often tend to focus on the physical aspects of performance and less on the mental. It's just an evolution of how the stigma associated with the mental component. So very often, when I first started doing sports psychology, one of the biggest hurdles was the stigma associated with, you know, seeing a sports psychologist. Because in those days, it was all about underperformance and kind of like being sent to the principal's office. And my view is always about high performance is, how do you take the guy who's batting three ten who gets left alone, and how do you get him to bat three thirty? Because that guy, from a mental point of view, isn't actually a good place. Not that I don't work with athletes who are underperforming, but high performance and the best athletes who take mental skills to another level, even when they're performing at a high level, just like how they take their physical skills training and their bodies and how they take care of that.
0: Who do you think the onus is on to really initiate or jumpstart this kind of culture within a small sports unit, for lack of a better description, which is to say like a team or a club or an organization? Who's responsible? Is that something that the athlete, him or herself, needs to initiate? Or is that something that the coach should do with the team at large? I would imagine that in most cases, a lot of coaches don't have this kind of training. And maybe that's a separate issue in and of itself.
1: Well, I think as time goes on and sports psychology is more in the public eye, even though confidentiality is a major thing in terms of my work with athletes and teams, more athletes have talked more openly about it. It's out in the public. Articles are written about it. So you see more of an acceptance as part, and a lot of professional teams, just like they have nutritionists, and now sports medicine people, they have sports psychologists. So it's not so uncommon. The hard thing is on a kind of youth level. I mean, more coaches are becoming more aware of sports psychology principles, and I often say a good coach is part good psychologist as well. I mean, there's just the economics of it. Schools have to have you know, a trainer for the physical needs of their kids, but the expenses are not to bring a sports psychologist in. There's often not the funding to do that. So I think it's really over time, people become more knowledgeable and aware of sports psychology is out there. The stigma is not there. I think it's harder on youth high school level sports, just from sheer economics. The athletes that I've worked with have always been kind of where parents have initiated that or the kids have initiated that, but it's often not on a team level. That's different in college colleges, although even on the college work tends to be from bigger, more prestigious universities. So I just think it's a growing awareness. And I've seen that shift over the time, even though that there is still somewhat of a stigma.
0: Well, Jonathan Katz, we got to leave it there. Thank you so much. This has been a great discussion. More to come on topics like this in the future. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope that Radio Captain U helps you be more successful on the field. Radio Captain U is a production of Captain U, the network that helps high school athletes, youth coaches, tournament directors, and college coaches be more successful. For more information, visit www.captainu.com. The opinions expressed on the show do not represent the opinions
1: or recommendations of Captain U or its partners.